Welcome to the 179th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Farming, with its vulnerability to the vagaries of weather, markets, and even government policy changes, is more than a bit of a gamble. That's why farmers rely on various risk management tools to help their businesses develop the kind of resilience needed to not just survive, but thrive. The problem is, one of the biggest risk management tools out there, federally subsidized crop insurance, does not provide much support for beginning farmers and farmers who have implemented diverse crop and livestock enterprises. In 2014, the Land Stewardship Project issued a series of white papers on the crop insurance program, which is now the biggest agricultural program in the Farm Bill. One of the conclusions of the papers was that although the program was initially set up as a basic safety net for farmers, it has evolved to the point where it mostly benefits insurance companies and large-scale cropping operations. Beginning farmers and diversified farmers are often left out in the cold when it comes to crop insurance. Such revelations have led LSP, along with various other organizations and farm policy experts, to call for major reforms to the crop insurance program. As part of this reform effort, the Land Stewardship Project set out to learn what specifically could be done to provide farmers better risk management resources. Working with LSP's Farm Beginnings and Policy Programs, intern Scott DeMuth interviewed nine farmers who were in the early part of their careers and or were utilizing a diversity of enterprises. The focus of the questions was the farmers' use of various risk management tools and their ideas for making their operations more resilient from an agronomic and economic point of view. The farmers interviewed were involved with everything from mixed organic grains and community-supported agriculture to dairy and pork production. Some of the risk management ideas they discussed with DeMuth were quite creative, did not necessarily fit into the standard definition of quote-unquote ensuring against disaster. DeMuth recently shared with me the insights he garnered from the interviews. He began by talking about the innovative strategies some of these farmers are using to manage risk. One of the ways we've kind of, this project was framed in a lot of ways, was um, crop insurance is there or, or should be there as a safety net for farmers. And that's that's not currently how the system as a whole really operates anymore it's it doesn't it's not there as a sort of essential safety net and that's kind of covered in some of the white papers that uh land stewardship project has put out around crop insurance and Mm -hmm. crop insurance reform and so our, our our approach to it was looking at some of the options that are available as a result of the 2014 farm bill and so there was um some changes that were made um, specifically about options that were available for beginning farmers, and so we we wanted to see how how do those things how do those things work for farmers, and then you know so that's kind of like where the interviews came in. But how we sort of framed the part project as we came into it mm-hmm. was really looking at this idea of these are supposed to be there as a safety net, and oftentimes you know for some of these farmers with more diverse operations or with you know doing more specialty uh products is they often have these things sort of embedded into their farm already and so we wanted to see what what are those strategies and so that was just one of the questions we asked is you know how do you manage risk on your farm i guess we got a lot of just different answers from people and so those things included things like um you know for csa farmers they saw doing their CSA, how they market their product as Uh a safety net, that um, a lot of the risk is actually being taken on by the consumer, and they have to have essentially build really good relationships with their customers in order to sort of manage the risk that comes with, with farming and with that style of marketing. You know, we also talked to other farmers that looked at having just 
diverse products on their farm, what they were growing as their risk management strategy. So that included some folks who were doing specialty grains, so not just doing commodities like wheat and corn but all, or soybeans, but also looking at, you know, what are some of these other sort of specialty products or specialty grains that are, you know, being able to market those sort of a niche market. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so there was a pretty wide range, I think. And so there was also other things that people talked about, which included off-farm income, which, you know, that's the reality for most farm farmers these days is having an off-farm income. And so people talking about that as part of the risk management strategy. One risk management strategy that uh, at least some of the farmers that we interviewed talked about was actually, well, one, being an LSP member uh, was actually, they saw that as just being part of a network um, and being part of, yeah, a larger network organization that connected them with other farmers in Mm. the region, but also um, connected them with some of the policy work that's going on and feeling like they have a voice. Uh, And then also there was a few farmers that we interviewed who had gone through uh, either farm beginnings or the journey person course or other um, farm management courses. And so seeing those, that training in those classes as, as a risk management strategy in the sense that it helped them with decision-making on their farm, both mm-hmm. with finances, but also with diversification, improving soil health. And so it was through taking those classes and the education part of that, that they, they saw that as a risk management strategy as well. I think that's really, it, it, it's, it really winds your view of what risk management is. Right. You know? it, it does. Yeah. It's not just the, the on-farm like practices, but mm-hmm. also all the decision-making and education that goes into that behind that. So there's been a, a long history of research into sustainable agriculture and what what makes farmers successful at ad- adapting su- sustainable practices and one of the things they looked at was often they are maybe they're not using as many inputs and as as much uh, equipment and that type of thing but what they're replacing it with is intense management mm-hmm. and that requires a network of right. farmers well and that's and that's i guess one of the interesting things we found too at least talking with some of the beginning like beginning younger farmers is a lot of them um, are farming in communities that they didn't grow up in. Mm-hmm. And so the challenge for them is, is they're not part of a pre-existing network that, that sometimes they're, you know, either having to find their way and build up relationships or, you know, other cases it's, it's either plugging into those or just creating new networks. And so I think that's where being part of something like LSP makes sense. Uh, but it's also, that's just a challenge too, because a lot of, the risk management strategies that people talked about was relying on family or other sorts of networks, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's sharing equipment or borrowing equipment from family or renting equipment that if you're not part of those networks, that's, that's going to be a real barrier and a real Mm -hmm. challenge. And I think it's, you know, that's when we're looking at the future of farming, I think that's, it's going to be part of that question of, of, you know, for these younger beginning farmers. So Mm -hmm. you had mentioned briefly the, the 2014 farm bill, Mm -hmm. And so there were some, I mean, the the crop insurance program in general grew, uh, was made bigger than ever, but there were some tweaks to it that kind of at least gave lip service to providing services to these more diverse farmers, beginning farmers, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. That was something that uh, I think you looked into a little bit. Yeah. So part of what we did with our interviews, too, was um, we basically looked at three programs, and that included um, NAP, so the non-insured crop program Mm -hmm. through FSA. We also looked at the whole farm revenue program through RMA and also um, uh, pasture, rangeland, and forage program through RMA. And so with those three programs, you know, what we did when we met with farmers is we had basically 
picked out the programs that seemed like would be a good fit for their operation. And we basically ran their numbers and just asked them simply, how would this look like for your farm? Would this be something you'd be interested in? Uh, With NEP specifically through the 2014 farm bill, there was a lot of, there was a few changes that, that were made that would make that a program more attractive for beginning farmers. And so one of those changes was that included a beginning farmer provision, which essentially reduced the costs for for beginning farmers. So the the service fees were waived for beginning Hmm. farmers. If you're a farmer within your first 10 years, you qualify as beginning farmer under FSA rules. That was the first thing that they did. And then the second thing is they also included these buy-up options. What those basically entail is for a certain premium or paying a certain premium, you can buy additional coverage for your crops from the 50% coverage at the basic level to a 65%. And for beginning farmers, half of that premium, 50% of that premium is waived. So there's some things that are attractive about that. Also with NAP, there's a lot of different crops that are covered underneath that. And so for farmers who are doing a more diverse or or more specialty type of operation, uh, there's a lot of options available through NAP to get coverage or just there's a lot of different products that you can cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely some things that we would like to see improved with the program, but um, it seems like it's a, a there are some good changes, at least with that 2014 farm bill. We ran the numbers for a couple of different farms with the whole farm revenue protection program uh, that's available through RMA, which is the risk management agency, mm-hmm. and um, got kind of mixed results on whether people thought it would be worth it for them to do it. Uh, there was one farmer who, who was doing organic grains and he was doing corn, I think wheat, and then he was also doing some specialty seeds and specialty grains. And for him, like, you know, it seemed about a quarter to a third of his operation were these specialty grains that he wasn't able to get conventional crop insurance for. He can get conventional mm-hmm. crop insurance for the corn and the wheat, but not for these other ones. And so... For him, it seemed like a great option because there's, a, you know, with whole farm revenue, you're, you're basically insuring your your whole farm revenue. You're insuring your revenue. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's a revenue protection program. So you could be very diverse. It's not based on a, a certain crop. It's your revenue from maybe you have five different enterprises. Yeah. it's And so, so that's the one thing that we really like about this program or that I really like checking out this program is it actually rewards diversification. So the more, more diverse your operation is uh, – I think it it seems like that's correlated with how much of a subsidy you get in the end. And so, you know, if you have, I think it's three or more uh, different products, uh, you basically get a larger subsidy. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like that's one great option because obviously the more diverse your operation is, um, the less risk you're going to be taking on. They've also made some changes too with it where originally you couldn't have more than a certain percent of your income coming from livestock, but they've changed that now too. And so... Uh, for someone who's you know maybe doing grains and livestock, you have this option then um, of insuring your whole farm, and then depending on prices, you can either sell the grain, or if when you know when prices are high or if prices are low, you can feed those grains through the hogs. So it's a way of allowing some protection to these operations that you know, are, are innovative and flexible. So, yeah. And in some way, a a lower risk to the the taxpayer or to the, you know, yeah, it seems like there's, there's a lot of things that make sense about it. There's things that we found a little confusing with this. And so one of them is basically how, how many records you need. And so to, to enroll in the program, you need to have three historical years 
or records from three historical years Mm -hmm. and then one year of farming. And so realistically for someone who's just getting started, you wouldn't be able to enroll in this program until your fifth year of farming. And so you have then three schedule F's from your first three years, your last year's records, and then you would have be able to enroll for your fifth year. For the beginning farmer provisions that are available, the disc, I think it's a 10% discount then, um, or a subsidy for beginning farmers, you'd only get that for one year, your fifth year. The thing about that, though, that we found kind of interesting with those historical records, it seems like if you're acquiring the farm from someone, if you're acquiring the operation from someone, you could use three years of their records, one year of your own records, and then as a beginning farmer, you'd then have insurance for those, not for that first year, but for the next four years. And so it would reward someone then at that point who might be taking over the operation from someone within their family or Mm -hmm. from someone else. But for someone just getting started on the ground, doing, you know, starting a farm from the ground up, they wouldn't have coverage through whole farm revenue until their fifth year. And so we kind of saw that as a way of, it didn't seem like it was equally available for everyone then at that point. And the other thing that, that we saw as something that was great about it is like, so for example, this grain farmer, he would be able to get conventional insurance, you know, even though he was, he was doing organic corn and and wheat. Mm -hmm. So you can get conventional insurance for those things and you can have that simultaneous to having this whole farm revenue protection. And at least in the cost of estimator, there's a way to put in how much coverage you have through conventional Hmm. insurance. And so it factors that out then where, so this farmer who's doing these other grains that he can't normally get conventional insurance for would then at least have some sort of protection over his whole operation. So that was one way in which we saw it as innovative and useful program. But, you know, like we said, there was challenges to it. One of the questions we then asked what would be better or what would they like to see after? So we ran these numbers with them, kind of weighed out the the costs and benefits with them and just kind of got their opinion about what they, they thought about these programs, what's available, would they utilize it? And, you know, I I feel like it was about 50, 50, um, you know, half the people seemed like they would, would enroll in some of these programs and the other half seemed kind of just ambivalent or just, didn't really see them as useful. Hmm. Uh, so that was just one question we generally asked, though, at the end of these interviews is, is what would be better or what would you like to see? And I'd say in the majority of interviews, folks talked about either retirement or match savings um, hmm. as something they would like to see. The retirement question came up particularly with part of the safety net or, or risk management is what, what are you doing about retirement? And it, what we found is that for older farmers, many of them don't have a retirement plan in place that their retirement or in terms of savings that for them their retirement plan is selling the farm for us looking at this from like a whole systems kind of perspective uh, we see this thing where beginning farmers the biggest challenge that they're facing is buying and owning land and the rising land prices Mm -hmm. or the high land prices that exist looking at this then at the other end or I, i guess on the other end of things as someone who's looking to get out of farming, looking to retire, that you're saving that you know for the next 20, 30 years of your life, the money that you're going to live off of, the income that you're going to have is going to be as a result of selling your farm. It then poses this challenge then that you're going to want the most that you can get out of that mm-hmm. farm, obviously. Right. And when prices are high, that it's going to it's just another barrier then of, of someone who might want to transition their farm to beginning farmer, but who may not have the resources. You can see why someone might end up selling to 
the highest bidder, right? So that was a challenge that, you know, or it's just part of the um, interviews that we just explored a little bit. And so for older farmers, that was something that they said that they wish they had done and that they wish they would have um, thought more about it. And with younger farmers, we, we noticed that a lot of the younger beginning farmers were thinking about retirement, even if they weren't actively contributing to a plan that they were thinking about it and had some anxieties about it and other farmers who are contributing to a retirement account. So one of the, I guess one of the things that came out of that conversation then just generally was this idea of a match savings account through the journey person course, there is a match savings Mm -hmm. um, as part of that course. And so through going, by going through that course uh, you contribute a certain amount that's matched by, you know, by LSP. What they found is, you know, just in general that this kind of match savings account when they're paired with some sort of uh, financial literacy or education course that they end up in these just really beneficial long-term results uh, in terms of people's financial planning and people's uh, decision-making. And so it's not just the match savings, but it's also that educational piece. And so for us, we that's kind of, I guess, what kind of came out of those end conversations. A lot of people talked about wanting to see something like that of a, of a match savings account that could be used, you know, sort of similar to like a like a health savings account that mm-hmm. could be used as crop insurance. That uh, for someone who's doing a diverse operation, they could then pull out however much many dollars they need as as sort of a revenue protection. And if it's used for those purposes, it's you know it's not penalized. But then long term. If um, they're contributing to this account and if it's being matched as a beginning farmer, you know, long term, that could be something that could be rolled over and used as a retirement account. And so it seems like a way to solve two problems simultaneous. Generally, the, what we heard just on the ground was the simpler something is, the better, right? And it just the the just seems like this would make a lot of sense and so one of the things we found out is that there was actually um part of i think it was i think it was part of the 2014 farm bill there was something passed about match savings accounts but it was just something that wasn't funded Mm -hmm. and so that's where we're kind of interested i think in seeing something like this funded and available to beginning farmers because if there's already this money that's available through subsidies and it's available to beginning farmers it seems like this would be something else that would maybe not replace these things but could be used in conjunction with um, these other options. I find that really exciting because there's a lot of, you know, the risk management agency, and in, in they're, they're called the risk management agency, so they're, they're supposed to promote low-risk options in farming. Right. And this seems like the perfect answer. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to be too simplistic about it, but you're not going to take huge risks because you're, there's a payoff in that you could have more in your in your account uh, in your account exactly you know and thing that farmers have been a little frustrated with with the traditional crop insurance program is for example there's more and more research showing that for example cover crops mm-hmm. can make your farm more resistant to drought and to inclement mm-hmm. weather so right. it's a good risk management practice right. but it's not really recognized by the crop insurance program. Mm-hmm. And so things like that, something like this really seems like it could fit into that, uh, where you're being rewarded f- truly for for re- managing risk better. Right. And it, and it seems like, you know, there's, there's a lot of just benefits overall, right? Like just, I mean, managing risk better, setting yourself up, you know, with some like healthy 
decision making mm-hmm. on your farm, uh, setting yourself up long term with retirement. It just seems like there's lots of ways from a lot of different angles where something like this would just make a lot of sense. And, and I think the other thing is, is people have, you know that we interviewed at least have said that they would utilize this. And I think that's the that we're thing we're seeing on the other end is we're seeing really low enrollment mm-hmm. enrollment in crop insurance just generally. Only twenty two percent of farmers are enrolling in crop insurance. But something like this it would be fairly simple to understand. Uh, it seems like you know there might be some policy work that's needed to to hash it out, but it seems like it'd be there's other models of this existing. So yeah, it seemed kind of a no brainer to mm-hmm. us and to the people we talked with. It'd be really encouraging to see something like this come out of this project, I guess. For more on LSP's crop insurance reform work. See the Organizing for Change section at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.